hey, we're just sitting around talking about learning stuff. So come join us on the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> oh, that was a good start. That was like probably the uh, mildest teaser you've ever done. Yeah, yeah. just, you know, cranked it out. I, I mean, today's kind of a, it, it's a little bit of a quieter Friday that we're recording this. You know, I feel a little more laid back. Uh, I, you know, I actually, I, I scrambled just to check something out on my phone right before we started recording. And I didn't tell you what it was. I, I have to meet with my tax accountant today to do my income taxes. Only a and couple I was weeks like, away. Right? I'm like, oh, no, was I, am I missing that? So, so why yeah. don't you just put all of your tax information into chat GPT and ask it to do it for you? Oh, yeah. what an awesome segue, Dana. I'm going to oh, build what, I'm gonna what, what pick up on that. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, you know, what we're going to do today, folks, is we don't have a guest right now, so we're kind of going back to our original format of learning geeks with everybody talking about something that is on their mind. Just this time, we won't spend half an hour on each one. We'll spend a few minutes on right. each and, one. And, and we think we're going to do this uh, more often. Um, yeah. Still have guests, of course, but every so often sprinkle yeah. these in. Yeah, that's yeah. the feedback we're getting is that they sometimes they like just the three of us riffing on stuff. Oh, yeah. Which is really sweet of you guys. Thank it you. <laughs> yeah, we, we love that. riffing. <laughs> we do. Uh, plus, these are easier to prepare for. But let's go They're ahead very... and start. And you know what? Um, I, I think that for the last four or five episodes that we have recovered, we have, in fact, talked about generative AI in every single one of them. So I am going to keep that streak going. Let's talk about generative AI, ChatGPT, MidJourney, Bard, Sydney, uh, Ernie. GPT-4. Did you hear about Ernie? Did you hear about Ernie? You hear about Ernie? Yeah. Is that yeah. like yeah. Bert's friend? <laughs> it's, I don't know what don't it's know named after. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> Baidu, which is, you know, kind of quote unquote, the Chinese Google, uh, they introduced their generative AI-based mm -hmm. chatbot, and it was called Ernie. And mm -hmm. apparently, kind of similar to all these other companies have been doing, they pooched the introduction. They did a demo. They said it was a live demo, and then it came out that it was recorded. <laughs> and um, they uh, suffered. They suffered financially as a result. Let's just call it that way. But you know, it's, although it's, it says er, it says Ernie is a orange puppet character created and originally performed by Jim Henson. Are you sure this is AI? Did you, yeah, did you ask ChatGPT that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I asked the classic Google, which is Web 2.0. You know, That's that. really funny. That's, That's really funny. <laughs> so um, the reason why I want to come back to this is because we recently spent a few days really just focused on playing with generative AI and trying new things. And, you know, some of us who were a little bit newer to it were working with some people who had played with a little bit and had a little bit of experience and was able to guide us. And the the overall things that I want to say about it is I think that it has huge amounts of promise for us as learning developers and learning designers. I don't see it replacing human beings anytime soon in that regard. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think that a shift in skills is going to be really important. Um, one of the things that we were thinking was, as a learning designer working with ChatGPT, your mindset kind of goes, and not just ChatGPT, any generative AI tool, 
your mindset kind of goes from being a content creator to being a content editor or, or, or like a copy editor, right? Because the tools can generate a whole bunch of content, like unbelievable amounts of content very quickly, mm -hmm. but you can't trust anything that it's saying. <laughs> right? You, right. You can't trust anything that it's saying. You, like, you don't know. You've got to have the human person, the human person. That's good, Bob. The human there. <laughs> it's repetitively <laughs> redundant. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you still need Sounds to have better. Though. Yeah. You, you still need to have the human there who is able to evaluate the responses, put it together. You know, mm -hmm. if you're using the generative AI to generate chunks of things that you then as the learning, maybe let's call it learning producer. I know that's one of Elliot's favorite words, Elliot Maisie's favorite words. The learning producer can put together. It's a really powerful tool and it's, it's great. But the thing is you have to have that mindset. And then this is what I really wanted to focus on today is uh, write, write down these two words, everybody prompt engineering. I think this is the skill that we, especially as learning developers, are going to need to build and continue to grow in over the coming years as this technology gets more and more um, popular and more and more uh, helpful. So what I mean by prompt engineering is that, you know, we are, we are far away from being able to like jump over to chat GPT and say, hey, design me a course about quantum computing or whatever the topic is. The, the, the thing is, you can do that and it will. <laughs> you will get mm -hmm. a lot of content, but you know, some of it may be good. Some of it might not be good. The amount of goodness largely depends on how much information is out there about that topic and, and really out there before 2021, which is where, you know, ChatGPT is has kind right. of uh, drawn its corpus from. Uh, so you'll get a lot of stuff, but if you can very carefully engineer the prompts that you use when you're asking it for things, you can enhance the quality of what you get. Uh, and you can also, um, you can also sequence those, those prompts as well, right? So you can, you can use them in a particular order. You can develop kind of a flow, a process, a methodology, that will enhance your ability to use these tools in a good way. So I, I want to encourage everybody to look into this and play with it. Um, you know, at, there is still free access to ChatGPT in its beta form, but you can also go ahead and upgrade to ChatGPT Pro for 20 bucks a month, which really isn't that bad, and then have access to it at all time. You know, you, right now, mm -hmm. if you try doing the beta, you will, are likely to get shut out. But... Um, it, it's really, really good stuff. Well, and Bob, to go along with that, there are start, some sites are starting to show up that will help you to know how to build prompts or give you Absolutely. prompts of prompts. Uh, a site that I just discovered is called Prompt Vibes. Not that we're yeah. endorsing anything, but it's kind of an interesting one. And uh, just even reading the sample prompts they have, they're kind of open your eyes to different possibilities for what you can use ChatGPT for. I mean, Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one, one example is I had not thought about using ChatGPT to create some type of an interactive learning game. But if you had a series of prompts, you could have ChatGPT, you know, you could say, let's play a game and here's your role and 
here's who you are, and these are some of the parameters. And as we're playing this game, teach me the basics of ChatGPT or teach me the basics oh, of yeah. chemistry or something like that. So yeah. you, you can kind of, with the right prompts, you could have a, you could have like a little role play game and ChatGPT is uh, teaching you stuff along the way. Well, you mm -hmm. know, let, let me tell you a little story about that, Dana, because I love stories. Here's the beginning of the story is. Is this your story or this is my, one no, this generated? Is, no, okay. it isn't. This is really my story. So this is Jake always validating <laughs> all facts now. <laughs> Which you need to do. You need to yeah. be careful. So when I was in high school and I took a, uh, a basic computer programming class, it was called computer math. But really, it was just basic programming on the Apple II computer. And as many, you know, uh, courses like that go, we kind of had a a capstone activity to write a, a larger program. And so what I did was I created actually my first computer-based learning game that I ever did. Um, I created a story-based adventure. And I know this is going to really shock all of you, but it was based on Star Wars. It was like Adventures of Luke Skywalker. This was all text-based, by the way, right? It's mm -hmm, all text. Mm -hmm. It was Adventures of Luke Skywalker. And it was a little adventure with Luke. And it said, you know, you walk down the hallway and, and the, the roof is collapsing on you. So you run down the hallway and you find a, a locked door in front of you. And there's a code panel on there. And somebody has scrawled on there. And then it generated a random math problem. You know, 14 minus eight. I didn't think Star Wars was out when you were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, Dana. Oh, it yeah. was. I wish, I wish, it was. I wish the listeners can see Dana's uh, face. When he <laughs> <laughs> the look of joy on his face. So he just <laughs> bombed me with that one. No, in fact, you know what? This all happened after Return of the Jedi was already released, so we thought Star wow. Wars was done by that time. But anyway, I digress. So it would give you a little math program and a little math problem, and you know, you'd you'd solve the math problem, and so it would say, okay, so Luke types eight into the door, and the door opens, and you move through, and you went through all these problems. Um, you know, it took me hours to make this and mm -hmm. to program it and make it work. When I was playing with ChatGPT the other day, I basically prompted it with one sentence and I forgot exactly what I wrote, but I basically said like, you know, let's make a learning game. Let's base it on Luke Skywalker from star Wars and you play Luke and you know, you, you go through and you encounter all these problems and these problems can be solved by sol by solving math problems. And when that happens, ask the user to solve the problem and then go forward from there. And it did it. it instantly, <laughs> instantly. Like yeah. I, I was playing it. It was amazing. It was yeah. absolutely amazing. Now, here's the thing was, oh, you know, I, I actually, I did specify for it that it was designed for like a fourth grade math level, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And the first, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the parameters, right? And that's part of prompt engineering. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. The parameters yeah, yeah. Are. Right. And the first question that I ran into was a simple math problem. It was like a multiplication thing, like I just said. The second one was something like, Calculate the amount of force required to, you know, move <laughs> like stuff I don't even remember from physics, but like it just incredibly hard, right? It was probably drawing force from the Star Wars. I, see, exactly. You know, That's exactly what I think it was it doing. Confused. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but it missed that. And so, you know, I could have engineered the prompt to a little bit better to make sure that it was getting 
what I want. But I, I have one more example from an article that I want to share with you all before we move off this structure is um, or move off this topic. A really good article I read recently uh, by someone named Dr. Philippa Hardman. And uh, Dr. Hardman was also playing with prompt engineering. So she wrote a prompt that said, and you find as you start getting into this, you, you can do things like this. You can kind of describe a setup for it as you go. So the prompt really literally looks like this. It says, Rolls, you are a librarian at a world-leading research university who specializes in visual anthropology. I am a student, right? And then task, create a reading list which will give me a grounding in the most important and influential research in visual anthropology, specifically filmmaking in visual anthropology. So there's something that there's probably not a ton of stuff about, right? But interesting. Instruction, provide a list of most cited peer-reviewed articles that will help me to understand the topic. Cite your sources. So that was the original prompt she put. The response she got was this amazing list of six articles and summaries of the articles about that very specific topic. Then she went and she actually looked at these. <laughs> and they weren't there, or some of them weren't there. Five of the six of them, not there, completely made up, fabricated, oh, wow. right? Wow. And so the the phenom this phenomenon we're starting to refer to as hallucination. So the so the AI hallucinated those five things. Okay, so you know, lesson learned: you can't trust anything that comes out of it. But here's what she did: was she got more specific, and I'm not going to read the whole prompt again. But she added to the end of that prompt. After cite your sources and provide links, she said, only include references and URLs from Google Scholar. If you are unable to find the citation on Google Scholar, exclude the resource from the reading list. Okay. So then it generated eight this time. And those happened to be 100% accurate when she did uh, it that way. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But then she kept playing with this with a whole bunch of other topics. And she found... When she used that method again, it was only about 75% reliable. Okay. But then when she went in and basically just changed it to say everything that I just said, right? Exclude the resource from the reading list. And then added, state how many citations each resource has. Only include resources which have 500 or more citations. For each recommended reading, provide a two to three line summary of its content and contribution to the discipline. Now, that last line wasn't going to help the accuracy, but it actually made better output because now she's got a summary of each of these things. It's more useful. Mm -hmm. But by adding that, you know, that about the 500 citations, uh, she's been consistently able to generate like 98% to 100% accuracy, most of the time 100% accuracy using that. Now, I mean, you're, you're starting to narrow in on really probably... Well, um, clearly, if you have that many citations, but super well-researched pieces yes, right. to find and probably heavily peer-reviewed. Well, right. again, these are all peer-reviewed, but again, really, really good sources that you're narrowing in. Yeah, on. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, it's fascinating, but that exactly, what she did there is exactly what I'm talking about when I say prompt engineering. And, yeah. you know, to to it's it's really constructing and deconstructing and trial and erroring how you do prompts mm -hmm. until you get something that you know is right. To Dana's point about, you know, now there are websites out there. I, I think 
I, I imagine a day where we all kind of have our library of prompt templates that we're going to be referring to all the time and, and using, yeah. and, you know, kind of have our standard operating procedure. So right. really interesting. You know, I'm sure we'll be talking more about this in the months ahead as we continue to explore. Uh, but I think it's an exciting time to be a learning person because it really unlocks a lot of capability for us. A couple uh, extra things that I would add in there in terms of skills. I love the idea of prompt engineering as a skill. The other thing, and again, I don't know if I would define this as skill, but you know, if I'm speaking to any L&D talent or whatever professional, um, I, I think it's going a little bit beyond just the playing around with with like a GBT model or any other type of model, but like actually understanding the guts behind it. Yeah. Because again, to your point, Bob, um, if you don't under even understand where that data is coming from you might be more willing to trust it. I think this goes back to like, think about like Wikipedia came out with. Right. People were like, oh, I, you know, people loved Wikipedia, right? This, this is great, you know, whatever. But again, once people realize where the, the data was coming from, you always had in your back in mind, do I fully trust, you know, the sources and so forth. But I would say that's the next step is to go, now start to understand the, how the models work. Um, think of, there's terms you'll hear like transformers. And I don't mean you know, the movie Transformers. <laughs> I, I mean, actual Transformers that help determine, you know, I, I don't I don't know it fully yet, but, you know, that's something that I'm starting to, to dig in deeper too. That's the kind of stuff because then that's going to help you identify the risks. That's right. It's going to help you figure out, okay, maybe are we okay with the 70, 75% because it gets us much further than what we would have done if we did this on our own. Okay. And then yeah. we'll do the rest. Yeah. You know, that so that to me is the next skill. Like go deeper beyond just being able to talk to the terms, actually know what's behind it. I think yeah. that's the next step. Absolutely. And I think a related thing, I think we're teasing this out, but uh, people need skills in, uh, for lack of a better word, truth detection or accuracy detection. Right? Yeah. Like the, in the example you gave, Bob, the, that person needed to know enough to sniff around the corners and go, eh, this doesn't seem right. I need to do a little follow-up work. Yeah. Walk uh, down but, every single resource. Right. Yeah. Cause if you don't, if you take stuff at face value or assume it's right, you're going to end up in the end looking like uh, a fool or looking like you just don't know your stuff. So speaking about validating, this might be a good segue to go to it's all yours, Jake. kind of my topic. Yeah. We've talked about um, Bert, Bert and Ernie and Transformers. So what are you going to bring up next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there, there is some there is some linkage here between um, AI, um, but but that is assessments. We've actually talked about assessments quite a bit um, on the show, um, and I think by the time that this is uh, released, we'll probably already have talked with um, Kessler and and and, yeah. and team right um, yeah. on this topic as well. But one thing that's been an area that I've been kind of diving into um, is the assessment world, which again is a very mature space already, um, but it's also a space that's being disrupted just like many when we think of using AI. So there's actually tools out there that same thing where I can spit and I can put in my, my data, that's different types of content, things I can actually link it up to, let's say a knowledge repository or other thing like that, you know, something that's internal. And it could use a GPT model for, and again, not chat GPT, but some type of GPT model. Yeah, a that large can then, language model. A is, large yeah. language yep. model mm -hmm. that can essentially put together assessment questions for you like that. And they can be about 75% accurate. 
Right. 70% accurate, or at least get you started. And then you come in and you start writing those assessments. So that that's also, that's great when we think of that. But the reason why I think assessments should be talked about more in organizations, or at least we should start to conversation more about it, because the way that we, you know, talking about validation, how do you start to validate more effectively people's ability to uh, where they are in terms of skill level, but not just validation, but also in terms of helping people figure out where they go. So I think in the last show, I talked about formative based assessments. So this idea of how would I use assessments, which are often super, super scary because they can be yeah. evaluative and um, it's just this dominant model of thinking yeah. mm-hmm. that, oh God, who's who's looking at that data? <laughs> Is someone going to come back to me? Whatever. But from a learning tool, it's extremely effective for like processing, lear- like learning process, right? I can start to take assessments more and more often. And if I have these tools as a developer, I can embed them more often uh, throughout the workflow, throughout the you know development of someone's, whoever's trying to learn something, specific skill. And I can embed assessments way more often than I would just as a common, hey, let's throw it at the end. Let's do a quiz or whatever. How well do you know this? I think they have, so with the, you know, innovations and evolution around AI, as well as this skills first, continued skill first approach that you hear in all many organizations, using a formative based assessment model, and maybe you think of it using a different term, I think has a lot of potential in helping people figure out where am I at? How do I move forward? And maybe the technology can give me the guidance to move forward but also it can give me guidance of who to actually talk to that could help me figure out, you know, be the teacher to help me move forward. Right. So I think, I don't know if how you guys are thinking about assessments other than of course, what we've talked with, with John and others, but you know, that's kind of been in my world lately. So I'm just curious what you guys have have thought around that topic. I haven't played in that space other than listening to Kessler and Rogers uh, on the <laughs> podcast, but uh I mean, I think that's that's all critical stuff because so often the assessments and the evaluations we we do are somehow removed from the task that actually is being performed, right? And and if we're mm-hmm. if we're trying to assess whether somebody can do something, it should really be at the moment of need. Is it is it yeah. actually impacting their ability to to do to to work? Yeah. And Jake, true confessions, I <clears throat> I kind of tuned you out the last part of that. Not, yeah, not nothing, that. nothing personal. It was because I tried it. So I, I went to GPT four and I said, quiz me about generative AI, right? Yeah. What is it? So it said, great. Here's a quiz about generative AI. Question one, what is generative AI? A, a type of AI that focuses on pattern recognition. B, a type of AI that generates new original outputs from existing data. C, a type of AI that focuses on supervised learning, or D, a type of AI that uses reinforcement learning to achieve its goals. Interesting. What do you think? What would you, how would you answer? Do you know? Well, I tuned you out about midway because (laughs) (laughs) turnabout is fair play. Absolutely. Well, you know, it was funny because it started going down and making a whole quiz for me. I, I had it stop and then I said, what is the answers? And, uh, the actual answer to that was what is generative AI? Answer was B, a type of AI that generates new original outputs from existing data. But like hmm. those were interesting, challenging, you know, that, that was a challenging multiple choice question. I do notice that the correct answer was not A or D. It was B and B or C. It was B. 
and it was mm-hmm. the longest one out of the choices. So some of the rules of how to pick the right answer in a yeah. in a standardized test when you don't know it followed. But yeah, right. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So what's what's interesting about that just example one, and, and I also want to bring up too because I you know, I keep using the word assessments, and that that is probably what that model will come up with a classic written example of yes. an assessment. However, other assessments that we use all the time that we don't even call assessments like simulations, they are a practice mm-hmm. opportunity where yep. I can practice how well I am in this moment. I yeah. can get live feedback. I mean, that's essentially when we think of assessments, there was a, a what was it? The retrieval practice episode yep. that we had, you know, a year or so back where we're like, we can't call it a quiz. It's really, it's, it's really about retrieval practice. Yep. And that's kind of the idea. Like you can think of more and more moments to get either retrieval practice, uh, simulated practice um, that gives you live feedback. And what's cool about the AI models, this is why I was kind of linking the two together, is that if I go through a simulation, before you'd have to like code all of that stuff beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, and it was uh, not a static result, but if you think of like a branch approach, you had a lot of branches that stemmed off when you created a simulation, specifically a digital one, but even an in-person one we would, right? We'd like, if they go this way, go this way. But using AI, you can actually have things dynamically created for you. Right. So based off of your response, this is what I would give you next. Right. You know, and so you can imagine now we can start creating a ton more of these practice-based assessments that, again, we don't have to call them assessments, but they are formative. They are something that I can learn from and then accelerate my development. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, faster than what it would be if I just let people kind of off on their own. And then at the end, okay, now I'm going to, you know, determine how well you're doing, but use these more like often during the the cycle of a process, the learning process. Are you reflecting on that one, Dana? Because Bob likes to tell stories. Let me start with a story. Please and do. Then we'll, because this relates to a very core function of learning. Years ago, I was sitting at a conference. It was a, it was a Maisie conference. And I had my iPad, which had recently been introduced. It had the keyboard on it. And I sat in a session and I'm typing like crazy and just trying to capture everything that the the person was saying. And I I walked out thinking, wow, that was really good. I really, that was really interesting. And then a day or two later, I couldn't remember a thing that the person said. Mm. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I, in fact, I had a hard time remembering the topic. I, I remembered some of the visual things I remember the person and, you know, one or two of their slides, but I could not for for the life of me think of why was that an interesting session? So I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience. It's more like when I don't have that experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all the time. (laughs) To me, that, that was, there was an aha. And for me, it was to some degree an inflection point because what I, what I, as I stepped back and said, why is that? um, I realized that what was happening is the words were going in my ears and out my fingers, and there was not stopping anywhere in between. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so th- I guess what I wanted to bring to the table today is, is the notion of reflection and the idea that if we don't stop and think about what happened, we can just be experiencing things without ever learning anything. Um, in fact, I, mean, I have a, a couple of quotes. One is from John Dewey, the educational reformer. He said, we do not learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. That was back in 1933, right? So, hmm. so reflection is not a new thing. It's just something that I don't think we practice as well as we 
we should. What what have you guys have listened to me and thought about what I was saying? What are your reflections on reflecting? <laughs> so from my end, I personally am in, in, incredibly passionate about because again, we all know that it's effective for learning. But I also think it's we easily skip it because it does take a little bit more time. Um, like you have to gen- you have to create white space during your day to do it or to if you go from call to call to call, you're never going to be able to process anything. So I, I know from my end, I, I, I do create slots during the day to just walk away and reflect on just what I went through on that call. Because again, I'll forget it from either calls or, or from what I'm learning specifically. So Jake, that, that's a personal response. When we're designing learning experiences for other people, how do we reinforce the importance of reflection? I mean, one way is uh, is to say up front, hey, there's going to be moments where we're going to ask you to reflect. And we have some little tools and devices. And that's part mm-hmm. of the educational process. If you're not doing it, you're not participating in the educational process. W- what are some other ways that, that you guys can think of that we can help learners reflect as part of a structured learning experience? Well, I think that's a key question, Dana, because my reflection while you were talking was both of you guys brought up uh, techniques for learning that I think are really underrated and forgotten by learning designers. Uh, so, you know, the, the self-quizzing and the self-assessment, the formative assessment, like Jake said, mm-hmm. yeah. and also for reflection. It's like you said, it's so important, but it's so easy to skip. Um, I, I think Part of the problem that I've seen in learning programs that build in reflection is that it's kind of samey. Uh, it, it's the same experience over and over again. And so, you know, I've been to a course where it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're at the end of module one. Now let's take 10 minutes and reflect. Or, you know, okay. Um, it's, it's more likely that there's going to be a series of questions to reflect on, which help with that more. But I think by using different techniques for reflection and, and also building in some other principles while you're doing it, it's a really good way to make that happen. So, you know, maybe one time you do have a list of questions, uh, but maybe the second time you ask the learner to, uh, to teach back what they just learned to somebody else. And maybe the third time, you know, you play a little game that forces them to think about what they learn and process it. Um, I I think that's just a technique that can help us use that better. Yeah, I've fallen in the trap of over-reflecting before (laughs) um, as a designer. And I can actually think of a course I just ran not too long ago. Or even then, at the end, I'm like, ooh, I probably did too much of it. Um, I saw your face go red while we were talking, Jake. Now, yeah. well, it's it, it, but it is true. Like there are different techniques, and 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 you know, one technique, you know, going back to the question thing, which is the, probably the most common one. Put a list of questions down. One technique I do utilize, though, is I do silent reflection first. So rather than a group think reflection, I do force them to answer a series of questions first. Yeah. To then, before you even open it up at all. Because then what I don't want to happen is that one or two thoughts from one loud person pop up and that's all they remember. Like I want to actually give everyone an, a chance to internally reflect before. So that's how I tend to tweak the classic, you know, question and reflection. But Dana, I don't know, but what about like you, what are you, some other techniques that you've used? Well, in this story I told earlier, 
the reflection began by me stepping back and saying, what happened? Yeah. And, and really, that's the foundation. We can build all kinds of tools and ideas, and we have a lot of them around that. But the, the foundation is when you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to step back and evaluate what just happened. Why, why did I uh, do all that typing and was not able to recall anything that they said until I went back to my notes? You know, why didn't that stick at all? And uh, so, it's, so for me, it's the foundation. One thing that I like, a simple tool that I like to use is the three what's. The first one is what. So it's like describe what I learned. Then it's uh, so what, like w why is that important? And then the what next. So what do I do with what I've learned? It's, yeah. it's real simple, but I have that in my little learning journal that I have sitting next to my desk. And periodically I'll put I'll pull it out and I'll say, okay, answer the three what's. Yeah, that's um, great. I think, you know, we, there's so much science behind this. Again, I quoted Dewey from 33, but there's so much science behind this that there, there's cognitive processing that needs to take place. And if it never takes place, you never transfer knowledge into your long-term memory. And, and those mm -hmm. breaks are important. I, I've got another little quote I want to read from a, an article called The Mysterious Power of, of Brain Breaks. Um, it says, we process less during the active phase of learning than we imagine. In fact, breaks play just as important a role in practice in learning a new skill. Time off task, paradoxically, is critical time on task. Mm -hmm. The whole notion that, you know, if you step away, and, and the article goes on to say, sometimes reflecting means you get out of your environment, you go for a walk outside, and you don't really have structure because the brain really never takes a break. It's constantly cycling on things. And, and that reflection can be, you know, formal, but it can also be really informal. Sometimes just saying, okay, we're going to step away for 10 minutes and everybody just, you know, go and get a cup of water. Their brains are going to be thinking yeah. about what they've heard, right? Bob, didn't at one point, didn't we do a session at a conference on using VR for reflection? Do I have that right? Didn't we do that? What did we, I must not have reflected about that enough. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I was in that session and I typed it up, but I don't remember a thing about it. <laughs> I, think, I think it's because no, we, we were. Had to, yeah. We were, right? Remember? Yeah. I think we were using like tilt brush or something. It was remember? tilt it was brush. Like, yeah. It was an artistic, right. an artistic reflection to actually get you to think. Remember, we were thinking like, oh, you can use this to think about mental models and like start to document. Yeah. But that, the whole concept, though, was to step outside of a That's new right. environment and get into something different yeah. to do what Dan is saying. From a cognitive standpoint, what it does, it forces your mental models to restructure. It, it strengthens neural pathways and it just gets all that, all the things going that help you to have longer, longer time, uh, longer term retention. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's what I wanted to reflect on during our time together, boys. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. I, I, I can't believe that it's already 36 minutes since we started recording this. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I probably I probably talked too long. I, I hope apologize. our listeners think the same thing, right? I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, let us know. But this was fun. We'll was. definitely yeah, do no, this I like again. This. It was great. Reminds was me great. of the old days of the old our, days. Old days of when the we all yeah. just made stuff up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, everybody. Uh, hey, try some of these things. Let us know what you try and what works and what doesn't work. You know, access us on the socials and. We would love to hear what you are learning in all of these different spaces. But until we meet again next time on The Learning Geeks, uh, this is Bob saying thanks. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, we'll Bob. Geek out. We'll see you next time. Yeah, until then, stay geeky. Geek out. Insert cute tagline here. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>